0: Audio Ground School podcast. Hello and welcome to the Audio Ground School podcast. I am your host, Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot, the online ground school for private pilots that we go over in these episodes. We have a really exciting episode today because we are finally on to a new section of the ground school. We're on section 13. We just finished up section 12 on cross-country planning. That was a really long section, and we specifically go into a lot of detail to not only prepare you for the written exam, but also so that you can plan a really in-depth cross-country plan for your flights and for your checkride scenario. So that's why we went in so much depth there, but I'm, I i got to say, I am glad that it's over with it and we're on to a new subject. Section 13 is gonna be before takeoff procedures. It's got just four lessons in it, pre-flight assessment, flight deck management, engine starting and taxiing. So there's some FA questions around there on some of those things you just need to know for your flight lessons and for your check ride. And then after that, section 14 is gonna be on airport operations. And then we just have about four sections after that. So we're sort of getting towards the second half. We're definitely in the second half of the ground school kind of in that that last quarter of the ground school. Thank you, guys. If you guys have been through us throughout all the lessons, then uh, I really appreciate you listening. If you're out there and you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please go ahead and do so. It really helps us out. If you have the opportunity to leave a review, that also helps us out. So if you've been enjoying these lessons, you go ahead and do that. All right, so let's get started. I do have one announcement, and that is our next scholarship. Again, if you follow Part-Time Pilot either on Instagram at part period time period pilot or same thing on TikTok, then you know that we do scholarships to our students. We do four scholarships a year. So three of them are a $1,000 scholarship. So we do one in the fall, winter, spring, summer. Three of them are $1,000 scholarships to members. You have to be a member of our online ground school. And then we also give like a runner up. We like refund their ground school purchase. So it's like a value of Two hundred or so dollars, and in the fall, winter, and summer, that's when we do the thousand-dollar scholarships to our students. And then in the spring, we just started this last year. We start a GoFundMe with a thousand-dollar donation from us, and then we try and raise some money to make that bigger and better than ever before. Last year, we raised about I think close to six thousand dollars, and then we gave out three, or maybe it was five thousand dollars, and we gave out like three eighteen hundred-dollar scholarships, something like that. I don't know if the math make sense. But we gave it all away. Uh, I didn't keep a single dime of it. Um, The only people that got a dime of it was GoFundMe, but because they take like 4% or something like that. But I use GoFundMe for the transparency of it all, and it makes things easier. So anyways, we have the following coming up, the $1,000 scholarship. You have to be a member of the online ground school. Uh, We'll put a link into the bio for that. And once you're in, you just go to your membership page, or in your welcome email, there's a link to do a short Google form kind of application. It's real short and simple. And so you can fill that out and then you just have to tag us on social media. If you don't have social media, then then that's okay. You can just send us an email and let us know that, hey, you don't have social media and that requirement won't apply to you and then we want you to leave us a review. It doesn't have to be a good review, but it helps when we get reviews. It's just a requirement to encourage some reviews so that we can be seen more and it really helps us out. All right, so that's going to be on November 15th. So that's when we're going to announce the winner. Or sorry, that's going to be the deadline is November 15th. So that at the end of the day on November 15th, that's the last time you can apply. So we got about a little over a month or a little bit less than a month to go. Three weeks or so When by the time this episode comes out. So Get your applications in for the $1,000 scholarship. All right, let's do, let's read off. Speaking of reviews, we got some really cool reviews coming in. So if you want your reviews, if you want something read off that you wrote, uh, you can leave us a review on either Apple Podcasts. You can actually leave reviews and words in there on Apple Podcasts. So if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review and we'll read it off here on the podcast. Or you can go to trustpilot.com and just search for part-time pilot and leave us a review there. So I have a couple reviews I want to read. One is by Trevor James. Five stars, this ground school is probably the best. This ground school is probably the best private pilot ground school out there. Nick gives a written lesson on each subject with a video explaining it and a short quiz at the end. Also provides 10 plus practice FAA quizzes. I was able to get 85% on my first try on the FAA written test. It only took me 45 hours of total flight time to get my private pilot lessons. This ground school is 100% worth it. Wow, 45 hours is great. 85% on the FA written is great. Great job, Trevor, congrats on those scores and finishing up your private pilot license. That is awesome and so glad we were able to help. One note on those FA quizzes, they are completely updated for the changes that we have been seeing and seen in the FA written exam. Not sure I could say that to any of the other test prep books or ground schools out there. I've kind of been checking in on them and I don't see them having updated their practice tests to reflect the changes uh, like we have. So that's just an update there. We just recently last couple weeks went through and totally revamped those to match what you're seeing on the FA written. All right, the next one is from Kaylin, five star review. Part-time pilots content is deep. Part-time pilots content is deep and thorough. I have already completed ground school with another online program and I can't believe that part-time pilot was a more cost-effective option. Part-time pilot is the movie, the cliff notes and the lecture. Where the other ground school was just a simple PowerPoint presentation. Thank you, Nick and team, for all your hard work on this course. Well, thank you, Kalen, for the awesome review. And thank you as well, Trevor. And I know that Kalen has been you know, asking some really good questions in the ground school. I know he's working hard in it, getting ready for his... I'm not sure if he's taken his his written exam yet or not. I can tell. You can just tell from people by questions they ask and stuff that they are, they're really putting their hard work into things, and they're going to be successful. So good job, Kaelin, and keep it up. So that's the reviews. Now let's move on to kind of the next segment we've been doing where we answer some listener questions here. This one comes from our Facebook study group. Uh, real quick note on our Facebook study group. If you want to join it, just go just in Facebook, search online ground school study group dash part-time pilot. So you can probably just search part-time pilot study group, and that will show up. But the one thing I wanted to say about this study group is how proud I am of the study group. I'm so proud in the, the valuable resource that it has become for pilots and the lack of just negative things that I see. It's just all positive. And this is exactly what I want it to be. It's just all students asking questions and people helping. You ask a question, we will answer the question for you. We're not satisfied until you have a good understanding of it, but also we'll have other student pilots who have already been through it, who understand it. We'll come on and explain in their perspective, or we actually have other instructors in here, seasoned pilots in here. So you get a variety of perspectives. And one thing I'm so proud of it is that questions just come in like all the time now. And it's just like, if you could print out this study group, which I don't know if you can, but if you can, and all the comments, like. And read through them it will probably be just such a wealth of knowledge it's like probably make a ground school out of all the content in this stuff so it's just really really cool really proud of it thank you guys all for participating and really being respectful of everybody we even have an option a lot of groups on facebook don't allow this i don't know why but if you're afraid to ask or feel stupid about asking your question which by the way you shouldn't there's no stupid questions and we say that in our rules that never want to make anyone feel stupid but you can actually post anonymously if you want to. We've had several people do that. All right, so let's read off one or two questions and answer those here on the podcast. So this is kind of a common question. I don't know if we've answered it here on the podcast before, so you've heard the answer. I apologize, but this is a good question. Would anyone recommend Microsoft Flight Simulator for practicing? So this student, you know, something they've been considering. So we got a variety of perspectives on here. And my answer is it's not the best for practicing, you know, stick and rudder or like the feel of flying, the feel of an aircraft, you know, nailing maneuvers and, you know, knowing how much pitch and power you need in a steep turn or in a flare on landing and all those sorts of feeling things that really there's no replacement. Other than just flying, there's atmospheric effects, there's winds, there's certain aircraft act differently, all all those sorts of things. So it's not good for that, but all the other things, far as you know, practicing procedures or like visualizing lessons and things like that, are very very helpful. So I think it it, it can be a very very powerful tool, and I actually highly recommend chair flying and visualizing, especially your check ride. You can write down in our our checkride prep tells you exactly how your checkride is going to go. So you can go through that and kind of know exactly how it's going to go. And then you can chair fly your entire checkride. And when you do that, when you chair flying is just sitting in a chair and just kind of hand mocking all the things you're going to do. So you can even have your knee board out, right? And just like you're in the plane, you can go through your checklist, right? Your pre-flight checklist. You can go through your, your engine start checklist, your before takeoff checklist. You can add power and... Your roll out and then lift off and climb out and just mimic all that and, and visualize it and then do all your maneuvers that you have to do, your loss procedures, all that stuff. And what happens, I'm a huge believer in visualization, is when you actually go get to do your check checkride the next day, your mind thinks you've already done it. So when you do that a few times and your mind gets used to it, basically you clear your mind for other things that may pop up and hinder you, right? So the important things that we have to look out for pilots, the safety things, the unexpected calls from ATC like all these different things or uh, an unexpected question from your examiner because you'll be on top of all these other things you won't have to think twice about your procedures because you've already done them and practiced them and chair flying you'll be able to respond to those more quickly and accurately and so that flight simulator is in the same vein as that right you can mock do mock check rides you can do mock practice flights all of that is 100% awesome and good and I highly recommend doing that like that's great but don't expect to practice a bunch of landings on Microsoft Flight Sim and then go out and then nail it. If you want to do that, there are some like flight simulators like Redbird where they actually, um, you know, have full motion, that stuff. And that gets a little bit better. Still not the same thing, but it does get a little bit better at, you know, kind of knowing when to flare and feeling the flare a little bit. I actually used the Redbird during my training and I think it did help practice my landings. And that's another cheaper option than flying but nothing can replace flying. So that is the answer there. And again, we got a variety of answers from people. Highly appreciate you guys responding and giving your input on that question. So that was a great question. Let's do one more question here. So this question comes from Matthew. He says needs a little direction. And this is one of the things we hope to provide at at Part-Time Pilot with kind of our ground school study group or just if you just email us at team at parttimepilot.com or hit us up on Instagram or Facebook or something. Matthew's waiting for a medical kind of review to come through. And this happens a lot. You know, there's there might be something on the medical exam that needs review from the FAA. And unfortunately, they take quite a long time to do these types of reviews. So he's already passed the written, gone through the ground school. He knows the knowledge really well right now, scoring 95% on the written exam just, just a few days ago or weeks ago at this point now. Um, so he's wondering, like, what should I do while I wait for the medical? Should I go... To the checkride prep or, or what should I do? So at this point, without a medical, right? Uh, Matthew can fly with the instructor. He can fly with his instructor. He just can't solo. So I would recommend Matthew do all the things, all the dual flight requirements he can with his instructor in the meantime, as well as maybe just keep this information fresh. I wouldn't say jump to the checkride prep program just yet. Although that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because it it does also kind of review everything. But maybe listening to, you know, the podcast, these audio lessons to keep things fresh, watching some videos, signing up for something, going over like a question a day or something that keep these things fresh while you bust out all the dual instruction flight training that you can. And then if you're still waiting after that, then, you know, go ahead, maybe start planning for the check ride. But if it does continue to drag on, I know it can be very frustrating. I would continue if you have the money. So maybe it's an assessment you want to do, right? You want to see, okay, how long do I think this is going to happen? How much money do I have? You know, do I have the money to fly? You know, maybe you've done all the requirements with your dual instructor, you just need a solo so you really need that medical. And so, but you want to keep, you know, your proficiency. You don't want to lose it, right? Because if you don't fly for a few weeks, you start to lose skills, uh, even just a couple weeks. So I would say if you can afford it, fly every other week with your instructor to just you know stay in tune. And that, that way when your medical comes in, you'll be good to go afford it. Then maybe it, a conversation with your instructor say, hey, I can't afford doing this, so let's just wait. And then let's have a plan. I'll stay good on the information, on the knowledge, because I can do that, that's free, especially if he's already in the online ground school. And then once my medical comes through, I'll save money up until that point, And then we can just get back into things. But so it's kind of an assessment of your personal finances, how long you think that's going to happen. I know it can be hard to judge how long that's going to be happen. But anyways, so it's just assessment. If you can afford it, fly every week or once every two weeks to kind of stay proficient. If you can't, then maybe, you know, just buckle down, save some money until you wait for that. Okay. So those are two great questions. I think a lot of people have those types of questions. So I think they were very valuable to talk about. All right. So let's get into today's lesson. As I mentioned, if you're following along in the online grounds, which I highly recommend you do because you can read what I'm saying or you can see all the visuals that I talk about here. You can watch the videos and you can take the quiz as well as listen to what I'm saying. So you're going to go. We organize everything by courses. So under my courses, it's going to be the step one online ground school private pilot lessons. So that's kind of all the lessons and all the quizzes, all the videos, everything in there. Step two is practice tests. And then step three is we give you a report on those practice tests, come up with a plan, some review questions based off that report that's customized just for you. And then we give you more practice tests and determine whether, you know, what you want to do with your endorsement. If you want it now, you want to study a little bit more based off that report and all that stuff. So we work one-on-one with you to get you prepared and that's why we have so much success rate with students passing. That's kind of the steps in the course. So we're in the step one course, section 13 on before takeoff procedures and lesson one on pre-flight assessment. So let's get into the pre-flight assessment lesson. The flying club or school you choose to rent your aircraft and instructor from should provide you with a pre-flight checklist for each of their operating aircraft. There are certain things that are required by FAA regulations for you to check on your aircraft in order to ensure that it is airworthy, which I will reiterate here. The basic rule is that if it's installed in your aircraft, it must be checked pre-flight. However, there may be extra checks that you as the PIC, that's pilot in command, may want to perform on the aircraft because the ultimate goal is you and your passengers safe. The PIC is the one responsible for determining the aircraft is safe for flight. So I'm going to repeat that because this is an FA written question. The pilot in command is the one responsible for determining the aircraft as safe for flight. So not the owner of the aircraft, not the flight school instructor who's not flying if they're not the pilot in command, right? It's the pilot in command. Whoever that is, is determining uh, responsible for the aircraft as safe for flight. It is also specifically required that the pilot in command become familiar with all available information concerning their flight. This is, again, it's bolded in our ground school because this is again another FA written question it's specifically required that a pilot in command become familiar with all available information concerning their flight that's kind of the, the overarching rule for pre-flighting you know pre-flight requirements uh the all available information that's kind of vague so we'll get into some details but this mu- information must include for a flight under IFR or a flight not in the vicinity of an airport. So you're, right now you're just VFR, so you don't have to worry about the IFR part. But if the flight is not within the vicinity of the airport, then this applies to you. So that would be like a cross-country flight, right? Not just practicing takeoffs and landings. You need weather reports and forecasts, fuel requirements, alternatives available if the planned flight cannot be completed, and any known traffic delays of which the pilot has been advised by ATC. And then for any flight, even if you're just staying in the vicinity and your VFR, all that stuff, this is for all flights, you need runway lengths of airports of intended use, takeoff and landing distances, and aircraft performance under expected values of airport elevation and runway slope, aircraft gross weight and wind and temperature. Once a pilot has familiarized themselves with this information, he or she will then need to determine that the aircraft is airworthy. You can do this by following these steps. First, we're going to talk about inspections. These are the things to determine if your aircraft is airworthy. There's a comprehensive list of determining your aircraft is airworthy. We have inspections, required documentation, squawks, airworthiness directives, and then required equipment pre flight aircraft check. All those things are required for. To ensure that your aircraft is airworthy. So let's break those down. Each of those down a little bit more. So inspections. Is your aircraft up to date with all inspections? A common mnemonic device for remembering inspections. If you remember is aviates. Which again we detailed in a previous lesson. For a VFR flight that is considered for hire. Again for hire means the same entity that owns aircraft also provides the pilot. Most of your training will be for hire unless you are on a solo flight where no training or pre-inspection check has been performed by an instructor. You are part of the flying club and are the sole pilot in command. The inspections include an annual, a 100-hour transponder, and ELT. Transponder may not be required if your flight does not require it. Again, that depends on you know what airspace and, and where you're flying to for the transponder requirements. Again, refer back to the previous lessons and on transponder requirements for that. These inspections will be found in the official maintenance log of the aircraft. You will have to ask your flight club to take a look and verify that all inspections have been made and are up to date. Next, we have required documentation. Does your aircraft have the appropriate and required documentation? Remember, this was Aero, the mnemonic device Aero. So the airworthiness, registration, radio operators, license, that's for international flights, operating limitations in the improved flight manual or POH, and the weight and balance. It is the PIC's responsibility to ensure that the weight and balance is within the aircraft's designed limits. Then we have squawks. Does your aircraft have any open squawks? Squawk lists for your aircraft will be maintained by your flight club or flight school. All squawks must be reviewed and appropriately acted upon and signed off by an approved mechanic before a flight can be made. Make sure all squawks are signed off and note the most recent or recurring squawks to be aware of. The radio has gone out twice in the last month and the mechanic has performed the same fix both times. Can you trust the issue is resolved? You are the PIC and it's up to you to determine the safety of flight. So basically a squawk is when a pilot has, you know, some sort of malfunction in flight. They're going to write it down in them sort of the logbook for the aircraft. For that aircraft to be airworthy, to take off again, the mechanic has to sign off, checked it to be good or, you know, done maintenance on it, whatever it required. Next up we have airworthiness directives. So these are ADs. Airworthiness directives are issued by law by the FAA for a particular aircraft, aircraft part, or aircraft procedure that if no long that is no longer considered safe. Any airworthiness directive that applies to your aircraft must be met, recorded, and signed in the logbook by an approved mechanic. Within the AD will be instructions on how to legally comply with it. We have an example of some ADs a link to those in the ground school. I'll also put that link in the show notes for you guys. Next up, we have required equipment slash preflight aircraft check. So that's when you're gonna check that you have your required equipment and it's operational is during your pre -pre preflight aircraft check. So all these items should be in your preflight checklist plus anything else installed in the aircraft. Again, your flight club should provide you with the preflight checklist. If not, if they do not make one, Um, but they should. if not, you know, work with the owner to create one that meets FAA standards. Although your flight club may be expected to provide one, it's up to you that the checklist encompasses everything you need. Again, you're responsible as a PIC. Again, everything you need to not only make the aircraft airworthy, but to make the aircraft safe to fly in your eyes as a PIC, because you are the one responsible. Uh, So all required equipment for day and night should be checked to be fully operational. Again, this is mnemonics that we remembered for required equipment that you can go back in that lesson if you forgot it, but the mnemonics we use are aka and flaps for night. So aka for day and flaps for night. Day is also, you may have heard a tomato flames. I like Akafutsi because it really encompasses and everything specifically for day. If a required piece of equipment is inoperable, then the aircraft is not airworthy regardless of if you mark it in-op and deactivate it. All installed equipment should be checked to be fully operational. If the equipment is inoperable but not required, it must be treated according to the inoperable equipment steps discussed in the inoperable equipment. Lesson 4 of Section 3. Either be removed or made inoperable and marked as such by an approved mechanic. So we have a figure here that shows a flow chart of which I think, you know, would be a good thing for a student to just print off. And it's a flow chart of checking your aircraft to be airworthy. So you have inspections and it says, is your aircraft up to date with all the required inspections? Aviates, then required documentation. Are the required documents in the aircraft? That's aero. Squawks, does the aircraft have any open squawks? Airworthiness directive, does the aircraft have any ADs, required equipment? Does the aircraft have the required equipment for your particular flight? And is it operational? Does the aircraft have a M.E.L., minimal equipment list? Because if it does, then that is the document that you have to follow for the required equipment. If it does not, then required equipment comes from a combination of the type certificate, data sheet, kinds of operation list and 14 CFR part 91205, which is the Akafutzi tomato flames thing is all the equipment operational? If yes, then you're good, you're airworthy. If it's not operational and it's not required, then it must be either deactivated or placated in-op or removed for you to be airworthy to fly. If it's not operational and it is required, then you are not airworthy to fly. <laughs> okay, I got through that. So again, we covered that in the required equipment lesson. There's some additional things here that some additional items that you want to check to ensure your aircraft is safe for flight. So there's fuel and oil, the fuel and oil should be checked to ensure the following enough fuel for planned flight can never have too much fuel, enough oil per aircraft manual, flight manual, correct fuel grade. Therefore, if not the correct grade of fuel is used, a pilot should not choose a lower grade, but rather a grade higher. Don't have the correct grade. you never want to choose a lower grade. If the grade of fuel used in an aircraft engine is lower than expected for the engine, it will likely cause detonation and could damage the engine. Then you want to check no water or foreign substances in the fuel tank. Again, to properly purge water from the fuel system of an aircraft equipped with fuel tank sumps and a fuel strainer, quick drain. It is necessary to drain fuel from the fuel strainer drain and the fuel tank sumps. This might be a question you get about purging water from the fuel system. You want to drain fuel from the fuel strainer drain and the fuel tank sump. So just know where you drain that is. You want the lowest part of the fuel system because the water's gonna go to the bottom in a fuel water mixture. So you wanna get the debris and water from the bottom. So that's why you do it from the fuel strainer drain and the fuel tank sumps. You wanna have the correct grade, oil grade, obviously. And then the fuel vents, you wanna make sure those are unclogged and present. You wanna have no fuel leaks. And then any other considerations that might be particular to your aircraft. You'll wanna check, is your windshield clean? You know, this is one of the things that, especially up there in the sun, in the, the bright clouds, any substance on there that, that makes things blurry or hard to see, you know, creates glares. That can make, you know, spotting traffic, spotting a lot of things really, really difficult. So you want to make sure your windshield is clean. If not, you want to use a wet cloth and wipe only vertically along the windshield. Wiping in a circular motion can cause scratches that reflect light in the sun and can make it quite hard to see through. Just you want to go vertically up and down and then you want to make sure you're using the right type of cloth. They have, you know, specific cloths that they make for aircraft windshields. Then you want to look, are all the bolts and fasteners present on the aircraft? My final FAA check ride was postponed because the aircraft we had reserved was missing a bolt on the engine casing. I could have very well, like, I can't believe this happened. I was actually really, really upset with my flight school that on the day of my FAA check ride, the aircraft I was supposed to use Literally just had on the engine casing, I think it was keeping the note, the propeller nose cone assembly to the engine. There was just a straight up bolt missing. There was like six bolts and one of them was just gone. You want to check for all the bolts. And then are the tires filled to the correct pressures? These pressures in PSI can be found in the proof flight manual or POH of the aircraft. Fuel workers should be able to help you out to check the pressure of your tires and fill them up for you. Uh, Do the brake, blocks, and landing gear struts look normal? The landing gear struts generally have about 3 to 5 inches of inflation. The brake blocks should be properly seated upright and secured tightly. Does the flight controls and yoke feel smooth? Make sure there are no hiccups or unusual bumps when pushing, pulling, and turning the yoke, even when you're just on the ground and not in flight. No holes, cuts, dents, or flight control interference. So again, you want to check when your flight controls move that there's no they're not gonna rub against you know if they've been bent or slightly kiltered off you know alignment then they might get caught you know with the rest of the wing or something and be you know get stuck while you're in flight you do not want that to happens so when you have good clearance good movement no and then again you don't want any holes cuts or dents in your aircraft especially the lifting surfaces because you know that's gonna change the lifting characteristics of your aircraft and it could be a very dangerous condition so you want to check all that stuff, you want to check the hinge points and the control surface to make sure they're all secure and able to move about freely. Do the seat belts work? Check the seat belts and harnesses for all that are needed for your planned flight. Ensure that they can be locked and unlocked. That's another requirement. You know, we talked about you know the seatbelt requirements for pilots, crew members, and passengers. So you need seat belts and harnesses, so do those work. Are the normal operations and emergency checklists available and close to the pilot seat? You want to have those emergency checklists and the checklists you're gonna need close at hand, if not in your kneeboard, then they got to be right there in the aircraft so you can grab them easily when you need them. And then you want to check the stall warning. The battery on, ensure the stall warning sounds when you lift it up. Want to know when the stall is happening, especially if you don't have an AOA sensor in your aircraft. This is the only thing that tells you when you are about to stall. So you really got to make sure that that works. There's an example of a pre-flight checklist in here from a Cherokee warrior. You can check that out here, it's a picture of it. And it kind of talks about all the stuff we just went over. And this is something your flight instructor should go over with you almost like day one of your flight lessons. So a couple more considerations that you might be asked about on your FA written exam that I want to cover. Or your check ride. When towing an aircraft, a pilot should always take extra precaution near the propeller. And this is put the tow bar on the nose wheel and we pull it around, pull it into... The parking spot, pull it out of the parking spot. Again, your flight instructors show you this. We pull it out by hand. And yes, you are strong enough to pull these aircraft by hand. might take a couple steps to get it going, but it, it will get going. But you want to pull it out to a safe spot where you can start it, right, so that there's no dangerous debris or you're not hurting other aircraft or people. So we kind of push that by hand to somewhere where it's safe. And you want to be careful when you're doing that. One thing, if the ground wire between the magneto and the ignition switch happens to become disconnected, So we wouldn't know because this is inside the cowling of the aircraft. If it's visible, it might be something that you can check. And I would definitely have a mechanic ask you for that. It would be a good thing to check and add that to your pre-fight checklist. But if that becomes disconnected, the engine could accidentally start if the propeller is moved with fuel in the cylinder. So when you move the propeller, if you remember our engine lessons on how engines work, we talked about how an aircraft engine starts. When the propeller spins, it spins the flywheel and all that stuff, it draws fuel and air into that. If that ground wire of the magnetos is disconnected and the magnetos are sparking mixture in there to create combustion and it could just start. So this is something that actually happens. Sounds crazy, I know, but a pilot should assume the worst and avoid rotating the propeller. If you absolutely have to move the propeller, consult the mechanic of the aircraft. And I know that they have procedures that you wanna stand behind it and only push in a certain direction so that if for some reason it does start, you're safe and out of the way. Should the situation arise where hand-proping the aircraft engine is necessary, it is extremely important that a competent pilot be at the controls of the cockpit. So this might be something you asked on the F.A. written exam. Like, let's say you know how to hand-prop your aircraft, and obviously someone has to be in the cockpit. You can't just put anybody in the cockpit, right, while this happens. Once that engine starts, a PIC, you know, someone who's competent and someone who has a pilot's license has to be in that seat. So you're going to have to Use a flight instructor or, or someone uh, when you do this. And you also want to make sure that you're competent in hand propping it and you use all the safe techniques that are written in the aircraft flight manual and per the mechanic and operators. Again, that mean, a competent pilot means someone should know how to be proficient with the hand propping. So that is our lesson on the pre-flight assessment. So again, you, as you saw, a lot of this is kind of... Stuff you're going to do with your instructor and stuff you'll have to do on your checkride exam. And you're going to have to show your checkride examiner. But there's also a few FA written questions, which we highlighted there for you guys. So let's move on. I think we can get go to the flight deck management lesson. We'll do that lesson and then we'll call it good for today's episode. Hey pilots, this is Nick. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you may have heard us talking about core aviation headsets and how with the coupon code part-time pilot, you can get 10% off and free shipping. Well, I just wanted to let you know that that got better. You can now get 15% off and free shipping. So an extra 5% off on core aviation headsets. These are a fantastic Beginner headset. Now I say beginner just because they are at a beginner price. You know when we're starting off with flight training, we want to keep all our funds for flight training because it is so expensive. And this gives us that affordable option to do that. But then it's not exactly a beginner headset because I have still had my core aviation headsets that I got way back when when I was student pilot. It's almost five years ago. It's still working great, and I've had zero problems with it. So with that fifteen percent off now, use coupon code Part Time Pilot. I'll put a link in the show notes. But with that, you get 50% off, you get free shipping, you can get your very own headset for I think less than $100 still. So and or you can get their more advanced headset for less than $200. That is a steal. And it is way better than sharing those sweaty old headsets that have issues and connection issues at your flight school. So go ahead and check out core aviation headsets and use code part time pilots. Alright, so this is the lesson on flight deck management. This is lesson two of section 13 in the online ground school. Kind of a short lesson, but it'll be perfect timing for this episode. So there are some things that just can't be taught in an online course. Unfortunately, some things just need practice with you and your instructor. But that doesn't mean I don't have some tips. Flight deck management means how the PIC, Pilot in Command, handles all operations on the flight deck, or in other words, the cockpit. This includes the following. How well you speak on the radio. You know, your voice should be loud enough, it should be clear and easy to understand, and you should be using the correct pilot language. How you interact with passengers and lead as the PIC. Do your passengers know where the emergency exit is? Do the passengers know how to use their seatbelts and harnesses? Do the passengers know when to use their seatbelts and harnesses? When is it safe for the passengers to speak during flight and taxi? Are there any rules while flying with you? And finally, do your passengers feel safe and are they happy to be in the aircraft with you? All of the above should be addressed in your pre-flight passenger briefing. So you're gonna wanna come up and your flight instructor will help you do this, but your pre-flight passenger briefing is something that you're gonna reiterate all the rules passengers need to know, like the seatbelts and harnesses, as well as any other rules where the emergency exit is, which in a small aircraft is just the one door and maybe the baggage hatch, if the door gets jammed. And then any other things you want them to know, like one thing that was included in my pre-flight briefing is during the critical operations of flight, basically be quiet unless you see something that you want to point out to me the traffic or something dangerous, something on the runway or something like that. You can point it out and speak up at that point, but otherwise be quiet in those phases of flight. And then next thing how well you use the resources available to you so this includes your six pack of flight instruments you know the altimeter airspeed indicator vertical speed indicator heading indicator turn coordinator and attitude indicator com radios nav radios vor dme gps etc also includes any equipment you bring along such as your checklist your charts your e6b your ipad and, or your personal gps your fa examiner is going to look for for if you struggle using any of these tools that you bring with you while, or in the aircraft while you fly. So on your check ride, if there's something in your aircraft, you know, they have the opportunity to ask you how to use it. So you want to make sure that you proficiently use that. One of the most difficult things to learn when becoming a pilot is not the physical act of flying. And it isn't even understanding the aerodynamics of how an aircraft flies. Instead, one of the most common struggles with beginning pilots is the act of flight deck management. So, again, I want to repeat that. One of the most common struggles with new pilots is talking on the radio, practice at home. Flight tech management, right? We kind of covered all these. A lot of these are kind of would be assumed, right? Obviously, you need to be able to use your instruments and, and your iPad and all that stuff. That's the stuff you're going to learn when during flight training. Maybe you hadn't thought about your pre-flight briefing for, for passengers, which is something you, your flight instructor will teach you and something you're going to have to give your pre-flight briefing to your FA examiner on your check, right? Because your examiner is going to be basically, you have to treat them like a passenger. You're the PIC and they're your passenger. So you're going to have to give them that briefing. And then, but the one, you know, uh, the common struggle, the thing I mentioned with new pilots is, is talking on the radio. And I've mentioned so many times in the ground school that uh, why things like ground school, chair flying, and then flight deck management are so important because these are things that if you struggle with them, they're going to make the rest of flying which is really the critical part, you know, actually flying the aircraft and controlling the aircraft, the the most critical part of flying, it's going to make that much more difficult because you're mentally going to be behind the aircraft. If you're struggling with what to say to ATC, if you're struggling remembering things on your checklist or remembering to do your checklist, or if you're struggling with figuring out how much power you need or how to use a VOR or an instrument, all these things that you could prepare ahead of time By practicing, by learning in ground school and practicing at home, chair flying, all that stuff. If you're prepared, you're going to be mentally ahead of the aircraft. Your mind is going to be clear. Those things are going to be easy to you. You're going to be able to see traffic. you be able to address that. If there's turbulence, find a new altitude, fly below, maneuvering speed, all that stuff. You're going to be able to address these things that pop up. But if you're not and you're already, you know, your mind is already busy trying to figure out how to use a VOR and... ATC's calling, you're you gonna get so overwhelmed that anything else that comes off, like if there's traffic, let's say trying to figure out a VOR, you got your instructor talking to you, ATC's calling you up, you have to reply to them. All these things, right? If you can't handle those quickly and then something else comes up, you're not gonna be able to meet that and that's gonna cause an accident or a failure of some sort of checkride or flight lesson. I've reiterated this so many times and I just wanna mention it here, that practice at home. There's apps out there that you can use. Live ATC, so liveatc.net, I believe. Just search Google for Live ATC. You can actually just listen to ATC and you can hear them talk to pilots and just listening to that and practicing with them is going to be really, really helpful. And I actually have a bonus episode planned for the podcast of doing that. That is something that is very important. And it's one of the things students struggle with. So there's no need to struggle because you can practice once you've practiced and you've done it plenty of times, you'll have that confidence and things will be a lot smoother for you. All right. So that's kind of the short lesson, just kind of getting that point about flight deck management being important, what encompasses flight deck management. It's going to be tough to talk on the radio, but you have the ability to practice that uh, using multiple tools. Make sure you do that so that you're prepared and ahead of the aircraft. Quick lesson, not much here you're going to find on the FA written exam, but stuff that is good to know. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you guys for listening. As always, please subscribe if you haven't yet. Leave us a review. It really, really helps us out. And if you can leave us a review with some words in there, some uh, any words, kind or not, uh, we will read it off on the podcast. So thank you guys so much for listening and I'll chat with you next week. Hey guys, it's Nick. I wanna take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training after Three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times. And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, Oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And... When we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. Able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time, everything's great and dandy. But once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavily heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're gonna hit a wall. You're gonna start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're gonna say, okay, we need to do one-on-one ground lessons. And now you're gonna be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead, 50, 60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gained, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost. And you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said, I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part time student pilot, because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full time job or maybe a part time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school, we have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And So how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content, via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices have that visual cue those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding or you can watch our videos or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned and then finally you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time and then finally you can A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA check ride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you wanna come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on online ground school, And we'll see you inside the online ground school. Thanks for listening and I'll see you guys next week.